Decomposing Myself, a special podcast series celebrating 50 years of great composers at Wise Music. Presented by Jill Graham and Dave Holly. I just wanted to kick off by asking you, what's your first sort of musical memory? Is there a particular piece or event that sort of sticks in your mind as being that? Um, I want to say probably as a listener, um, I, the first, my first musical memories are the things that my parents listen to, either at home or in the car. And one memory that I, my dad likes to remember, and I also remember, is listening to Mahler's Third Symphony and the first movement whilst making a, a puzzle, of Noah's Ark puzzle, and I associated <laughs> some of the themes and the instruments with some of the animals in the puzzle. So that's a really potent early memory. That's quite good music. I remember my father dry, My father had three cassettes and one of them was Shakespearean madrigals, which wasn't to my taste, with lots of hey nonny nonnies. And he, every time we got in the car, he'd put one of these cassettes on and it was a form of torture. But I think, I think um, Marla sounds rather yeah. nice to listen to. It's kind of powerful music for a tiny child, but I think it's... Yeah. Mm. I liked it. And do, do you have a memory of the first time you made music in some way, shape or form, or, or discovered you could make music? Again, I think it's very family related. We used to sing a lot of rounds. Um, I have two siblings and yeah, we used to sing in the car, on walks. We didn't talk much, but we sang. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's the first. And was that stuff that you, you knew or was that stuff, were you making up music at that point? At that point, it was stuff that was taught to me by yeah. parents and family members, but it very quickly turned into my own. Josephine, just um, take, picking out from what Dave's saying, you know, what inspired you to write music? You know, whether why did you decide that writing music would be something that would propel you forward into a future career? Or maybe when did you decide that, actually? I feel like there are two parts to your question, because making music, composing music, came very early on. Um, it's a kind of typical thing, I think, for composers, but just when you're learning an instrument and you're learning a new piece and you wish it wouldn't go that way. You want it to go somewhere different. And, and, and so that's kind of how I started making up my own things and then starting from scratch. Um, later on, as a teenager, when I got more in rebellious and into you know rock and pop music, I started writing songs, but always for myself. And even though I had aspirations to, to do it, um, as a career or for my life or just all my whole life I never really seriously envisaged composition as a as a career uh, until much later um, when I start when I was studying in the UK and um, realized that it was it, it, it was a profession and it was something that actually I felt I could do um, for my life so yeah and I would say in my in my late teens okay and um when that sort of, if you like, realisation dropped into your being, did you then purposely go and study writing music? Actually, I'll add also that as a teenager, being part of the French Radio Children's Choir meant that we, that I got to also meet real-life composers. And that was another thing that really triggered me into thinking that it was possible to make, you know, to, to, to have this as a job. And... And so then I didn't immediately want to specialise in composition, so I just did a general music degree. Um, but then after that, I did choose to... 
study for a master's and specialize in it. But I've always um, done other things as a musician, so performed and arranged. And that's always been really important to me to not specialize too much because I just enjoy so much doing a variety of things. Um, so... And you play, play a number of instruments, don't you? And uh, we, Guitar, cello. Do, do you have a, a, a preferred instrument and a, a favourite? I would say my most favourite is the voice, is singing, because it's so um, personal to every person. Um, but I love, I, just, I love all instruments, um, really. I, I'm what, what, most familiar with the ones that I play. Strings, because I learned the cello as a child and... And yeah, plucked strings as well and, and, and piano. Um, but I am also in awe of, you know, brass instruments and the sound that they can make and percussion instruments and yeah, everything. But probably the one I feel the most personal connection with is the voice. And do you sing when no one's around? Oh, yes, do I do. <laughs> and what, what would you sing? Do, do you have particular things you go back to? Ah, um, whatever's in my head at that at that time, whether that's something I'm currently making up or something I've listened to obsessively with breakfast or something I saw in a performance the previous night. Yeah. And what sort of performing do you most enjoy? You talk about singing. Um, I always like talking to composers who have those different aspects to life. You know, is there a particular context where you are you feel as free as you want to be as a performer and really enjoy what you're doing i think that's maybe yet to come okay <laughs> as a as a performer so until now i've mainly performed um music that's not mine mm -hmm. um, whether that be in the classical world or also when i've performed with bands um and uh, yeah I, again i love aspects of both um, when when something's conducted and you know played um, in a concert hall without sort of technical elements, I love the the freedom that one can have with tempo, dynamics, etc. And then conversely, when I'm when I've played in bands and maybe there's a backing track and maybe you, you have to follow a tempo very very closely, there's also a kick in in that getting that precision of being kind of restrained in a way with your with your freedom, but, you know, you're really hitting the nail on the head. That I really love as well. Um, but I think what I'm, what I'm preparing slowly is um, a performance where I would be performing my own music, and I'm, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm confident that that will be the most liberating thing. I mean, I think when um, you mentioned, you know, performing mainly music by others... Um, just going back to your earlier experiences, what's the first piece of your music that you heard performed by others? And, and what did that feel like? Um, I remember very well. Um, so when I was in this choir that I mentioned as a teenager, um, there was a competition every year uh, of writing a, a small choral piece. And I entered it in my first year there and was lucky enough to win the competition. And what that meant was that the piece was then performed by the choir at the Studio Olivier Messiaen at Radio France in Paris, so kind of a fancy wow. venue. And um, and until then, all the music I'd written was just in my head or written and recorded by me. And so hearing 
other humans make, you know, take that out of my brain and into the space to other people's ears was really special and, um, yeah, just hard to describe really that feeling. And, and that's sort of when I knew also that I wanted to pursue this and do more of it because it was a really joyful experience. And listening to that first piece of music and, and having those quite, I imagine, quite overwhelming feelings of, oh, I did that and it worked. Uh, did you go back and tinker with it? Did you change anything? That piece, no. I kind of left it as it was because it's so attached and representative of that time. Um, but I have done that in the, you know, later on down the line. But that piece, it's... A, it's very precious, so I've left it as it is. It's also not. It's also full of you know um, things that I that I wouldn't do today. But I, it's very naive in some ways, and it's very imitative of other music that I sang then. But yeah, I I like it as it is. But I didn't touch it. What's your process for working? Do you do you um, have a particular sort of time of the day you work and a method of working and a place you work, or are you a, a freeform? How, how, how does it mm. how does it work for you? So I would say that that depends on um, the stage that I'm at. First of all, it depends on the actual project and the nature of the project, um, because you know if it's. If, for example, I'm working on a collaborative project and it's a film or um, a theatre piece, then there are, you know, the, the people on the other side have certain needs and there needs to be a lot of back and forth. So I have to follow a timeline that's not just my own. That can be very helpful, actually. Um, whereas if it's a piece of concert music, which is just for me, then I'm really the master of my own time and, and, and structure. And it will change from the the early days when I'm just sketching and then usually in the early days I don't spend too much time the day I'd, I'd leave maybe an hour or two per day to just thinking about it and becoming familiar with what I want to say and and how um, and of course as time goes on and the, the performance becomes closer and closer the deadline becomes closer and closer I dedicate more and more time and until maybe a month or two before a deadline when I and to lock out the time and I decide, okay, that time will be 90% dedicated to this piece. And depending on where I am, because, you know, until now, or at least until the pandemic, I used to perform a lot, so I would travel a lot. So my routine kind of changes with every new place that I'm in. Um, but again, as much as I can in, in that month or two before a deadline, I like to come back to a quiet place which is usually here where I am now and and then my routine is you know just spend most of the day wake up go and work take a break for lunch have a little walk go back work have dinner and then go back and then go to bed and repeat the process um you know with different tasks at different time of the day I'm most I think I'm, my imagination is at its ripest first thing so I'll leave the sort of editing and, you know, the, those, those kind of things for later on in the day when my brain is kind of less fresh. 
Um, but always new, new material, new ideas is what I do in the morning. Well, what, you, you mentioned you sketch. What, how do you sketch? Is that sketching notes or is that sketching words or pictures or what, what, what is it? Again, it depends. So if, for example, at the moment I'm working on an opera, so that's what I feel most able to talk about. If I'm working with text, I'll just read through it and just if any idea pops into my head, you know, if there's a phrase that I, I have an idea of how I want someone to sing it, I'll maybe sketch a contour of a line or a rhythm um, or an instrument that I really, you know, feel like I want to hear at that point. Um, so very vague. It starts with just shapes and colours and then it becomes more more and more precise. And if, if you're not working to a text, how, how, how does that start to shape in your, in your sketchbook? Yes, yeah. um, then again, it will be a sort of map of some kind, um, you know, depending on the duration of the piece, which is usually decided upon you know, as if it's a commission, as the commission arrives. I'll try and think of the motions and the, the, the general shape and the emotional journey. And so, it, yeah, it, it's, it's lines and dots and things like that. <laughs> Um, drawing. This is the only time in my life that I do drawing, because <laughs> yeah. otherwise I'm terrible at it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how it will be. And then, and then little ideas. Maybe if it's for a specific instrument, then um, techniques I want to use or specific sounds I like about that instrument. And yeah, it's it's much more much easier to start with just a sort of mind map without. You know, on one hand, some organisation with the the temporality, but then just b- a bunch of ideas um, just above, and then deciding where what makes sense. It's kind of like uh, making a puzzle, really. And then when you take that into, do you work in a studio to to turn that into a manuscript? Or um, I don't. So I I don't actually have a studio. Um, but again, depending on where I am, because I'm also I've I've been living in different places in the past year. Um, I just as long as I have a keyboard and a table and a pencil and a piece of manuscript, then I'm I'm good. Um, you, do you handwrite? I do handwrite. Yeah, old school. <laughs> old school. <laughs> <laughs> but I find it so much more. Um, inspiring and, and, and so much easier to, to feel, you know, for the ideas to kind of take birth. If, if I'm in front of a screen and the, the software's already decided where the bar lines are, and then I'm not, I just don't feel as free and, and imaginative. So I love a piece of paper. I do love that. I do love that about composers when they uh, do write in manuscript, uh, simply because you can see the personality and the energy in the music somehow. You know, looking at your scores, but also, you know, as you know, we represent you know the music of John Taverner and when we used to get a score of his in you could see how quickly this music would come to him and this sort of almost ferocious energy going into something which ultimately was quite um, peaceful. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And and I think in terms of, if you like, musicology, that having that, that first raw iteration of your musical soul is a really important thing. And it's great that you're still doing it, I believe. And I was just going to ask you, actually, um, the process of taking that manuscript into uh, say a piece of computer software does do you um 
continue to work on the manuscript as you're inputting it? Or actually, I suppose now that you're working with us as, a, as our most recent signing to the publishing company, that that sort of function goes elsewhere. It comes to our editors in France. You know, so I suppose, is that a relief for you that someone else is now doing that? Well, because it's obviously very new, the relationship, but I haven't quite decided or, you know, uh, Agnes and I haven't quite figured out exactly how we're going to do this, but... Um, I tend to, once I start inputting into the software, I, I don't usually go back to the manuscript. So the manuscript is always very sketchy and, and drafty in the best possible sense is the initial ideas. And then I do, it's not like I, I, I finish the piece on paper and then edit it and then print it and it's done. It's more, there's really a first phase on on the, with handwriting then I put it into the software and then I start printing sometimes with empty bars and then I handwrite on those printed pages. So there's a sort of hybrid somewhere in the middle. Um, but then, yes, at one point you have to, also because of time, <laughs> you always, often just don't have so much time towards the end and you just have to work straight in. But it's also easier the, 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 when the piece is almost done. Um, to, to work that way and but it is so helpful and even before working with a publisher I had a tendency to just send things over to friend composers editors just to check and have an external eye um, because you become blind to you know you're, you're obsessed with your own problems and issues and other people might have a completely different perspective and that's always really precious um, so I'm, I'm yes I am really looking forward to having that relationship with. I was just going to say what one of the things that always intrigues me about all all artists not not necessarily just musicians is how do you know when something's finished it's a good question I mean <laughs> for me who have very strong perfectionist tendencies it's usually time that decides <laughs> um, you know at one point you just have to let go um but I, I I I like to think that pieces and I know for publishers this can be a nightmare but I like the idea that a piece can can evolve and can can grow just just as in the way that we do as, as human beings and maybe that can just be in making an arrangement for a different combination of instruments or just revising something that didn't quite work the first time around. Um, but I think if I, if I don't think about these small details, um, there just is a moment when you, you reach the double bar line and I don't know, it's kind of magic. And I, I, I like to keep the, the mystery in it and, not try and rationalize it too much, but there is usually a point when it feels okay. This is this is it. I'm um, I'm done. Just changing the subject slightly, you've collaborated with quite a few sort of bands and and, and non classical artists. Um, Damon Albarn, you you we we you um, did you play live with Damon when he was doing his most recent album? So no, not in the end. I was supposed to, but um, pandemic 
um, Arctic Monkeys. So I did. You, you worked with them, and I think Radiohead. You did some um, stuff with, yeah. So how how did you get involved in that world? I think that really comes from my personal passions, and I'm trying to think when it when it all started. Actually, I think when I moved to London after after doing my undergraduate degree. I um, started a concert series with a couple of composing friends called Listen Pony. That was 10 years ago. And, um, and one of the things that I was really keen on doing was um, just programming as, as much of a variety of music as possible, regardless of genre, and inviting musicians to collaborate. So inviting bands and songwriters to perform with the classical performers, just because... I'm trying to think when was exactly the first time, but I think it must have been one of these concerts. I've always just loved collaborating with musicians who are not from the classical tradition, just because they have such a different way of approaching and thinking about music. And I've always found it such a shame that there is so little overlap between the different worlds, because I think they are so complementary and and each, you know, can bring so much to the other. Um, and so I, so it started in that way, really, of just me going to calling artists I really loved and trying to bring them together, and writing arrangements. And then I, I guess that got because it's quite rare that got noticed. And then I got called to do more official arrangements. And the first thing that I can think of was writing arrangements for the the BBC Prom in 2016, which was an homage to mm. David Bowie the year that he died. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and that was with the ensemble Stargaze, um, Berlin-based uh, ensemble, who do a lot of these collaborations. And, and yeah, that was the first one. And then with Stargaze, I went on to do more. And, for example, Stargaze are the people who I worked with Damon Orban uh, with. So there's, there's a close relationship with that ensemble. Then there's another ensemble in London, a string ensemble called 12 Ensemble that I've also worked with um, in the pop world. And um, and then the LCO is another orchestra and choir that I first joined as a as a, as a chorister. So for example, the, the Radiohead album that you mentioned that was with them, I worked on it as a singer. And, and yes, and then just, you know, making friends with some of these artists and then word of mouth and... And, and, and so it goes, so it continues, and um, I love doing this work. Do, do you actually write with them, or is it is it arranging or adding sort of strings or layers to, to their work? A bit of everything. So the thing that I enjoy most doing um, is this um, arranging of songs that have been recorded first and then turning them into something else, sort of more of a classical piece, but then it can also be, um, you know, adding a layer of strings for the studio or playing. For the Arctic Monkeys, for example, I was just playing the piano for, for one of their recent albums. But in the studio, I would then also suggest little arrangements and things. Um, so it just depends on the context, but all of, all of the above. Do you enjoy being on tour in those situations? You mean those situations as in with, with bands? Yeah, with bands or actually even just spending a lot of time with, as you say, uh, collaborators from, you know, outside the classical world. I think the work that you do really sort of pushes that classical boundary quite nicely, you know, whereby it's not what you would call crossover. It's something that adds, um, 
to the existing music. I mean, just listening to the uh, album you did uh, with Daughter and Twelve Ensemble, you know, that you know, it was a, an iteration of an album which was already a pop album, but what you did with the strings really brought it into a very different sort of uh, genre, but it, it didn't diminish either element. You know, wow. I, I just wanted to talk a bit about that collaboration because I think there are very few collaborations such as that where a, an album that already exists then takes on quite immediately a different form. How did that come about? Um, I'm glad you picked on on that because that's really a special project in my heart. And um, so, yes, it's the collaboration with, so not not Daughter, but the, the singer of the band Daughter called Eleanor Tonra. She made a, an album as a solo artist called X-Ray in 2018, I think. And I was involved actually already in the early, in the recording of that, playing the cello and singing some backing vocals. And then very naturally, Eleanor invited me to be part of the band um, as a cellist and keyboard player and bass and also some backing vocals. And right. that was super exciting because that was something I'd always wanted to do, be in a rock band. <laughs> um, and, and it was, but it was, you know, quite a short, the album kind of had a life for about a year. We toured, we're very lucky to, to do some really exciting concerts, including touring Japan, um, playing at Brixton Academy, um, and then, and of course, pl- touring and playing these songs all the time, um, I became really familiar with the music and did the thing that I started, that I mentioned earlier on, of starting to imagining extra layers or different voicing of chords just to just to chat and, and, and make it different and, and my own in a way. And... Um, and and yes, and so and, and I was invited by King's Place the following year um, to, to curate and run a concert for the the series that they had on called Venus Unwrapped, and that and and you know they asked me what I would be interested in doing, and that was really the first thing that came to my mind because um, I could see in the already existing program that there weren't such crossover events, and I thought it could be a really special thing. Eleanor and I had already collaborated with Twelve Ensemble on a song by Daughter. Ah, oh, okay. And so there was already a lot of mutual appreciation between all the all the members. So I knew everyone would be keen, and I was just incredibly lucky that Eleanor was was optimistic and up for it, and just gave me completely free reign. Um, but that I think is is quite rare, and it really mm. comes from the fact that we have such a good working relationship and a strong friendship as well, and just a, a lot of trust. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that could happen every, every year. Um, no, and it's wonderful when the magic comes together, isn't it? You all find yourselves on the same page doing something quite different to what you've normally been doing, you know, like touring the world with the band as a performer. And I really feel that, you know, bringing all those elements together in a very respectful way in, uh, and it's like a community way, almost, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, bravo on that, because it really is an excellent album. I just want to say, from what I said before, I said making my own. I, that's not kind of, wasn't what I wanted exactly to say, but just to to shine a different light on the songs and also allow the mm. the, the classical musicians to come in the picture. And, and a really fun exercise also was to try and translate some of these 
studio effects and synthesized sounds into acoustic um, techniques. Um, yeah. Where, where did you record it? It was recorded live in the performances at King's Place in the main hall. And we never, we didn't initially um, have the intention to, to release it as an album. It was just, we thought we would record it because it was such a unique occasion. And then COVID hit and <laughs> we were all locked in our houses for way too long. And, and listening back to the recordings and, and, the, and you could really feel the, the presence of people in the room. It just felt like we had to share that. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, 12, 15 months later, we released it as an album. Yeah. How, how, how was um, COVID for you? Um, did it, um, it affect your life? Obviously, it affected the touring considerably. Yes, I think. I mean, it, it was. <laughs> of course, it was such an awful time for the world. But personally, uh, especially the first few months were a real time of of connecting to myself. And in a way, I was. I think it was lucky that for me that. Suddenly, I had all the all the performing was gone because I was I'd been trying for some years to try and readdress the balance between the time I spend creating at home and the time I spend um, performing around and and that just and COVID just cancelled all the performing and then I was at home. What I'd craved for so long um, had the time to you know live and work and not just be constantly running around and I think that did me a lot of good. Um, and I've tried to learn a lot from that time. Um, for now that we're sort of back into the real <laughs> world mode, has, has has the balance gone back the other way, or are you able to still hold on no, to some? No, of that? I've I've really tried to make an effort to keep it, keep the good things, the good habits that I took during COVID, uh, spending yeah, spending a bit more time at home and. You know, just cooking and, and doing more exercise and reading and these things. Yeah, I think it it did me a lot of good to just be forced to rest and face face oneself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that happened to a lot of people. Um, we I, we, mm. we put out a, a, a sort of email to the world of wise music called the staff every day. I, I put the, it out and it was to show people what what people were doing because people got extra time you know they were at home they weren't on trains or tubes and um it was it was actually in in, in one way it was very sad seeing people's world shrink but in another way it was wonderful seeing them take up new things you know cooking or they got animal pets they they got very fit some people um so i think it 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 did some good despite doing a lot of damage to the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think as a composer, I was particularly lucky to still have work on. Yeah. I think it would have been different if I if suddenly all commissions had been cancelled as well. And I think as um, the pandemic was hitting, you also um, were appointed composer in residence in well, artist in residence at uh, the Opera Grand Avignon and uh, in front of you is a, a full-length operatic collaboration you've written for the stage before and done it incredibly well 
I imagine that having that headspace and self-space to really address your first full-length opera was probably a bit of a benefit. Hmm. Definitely, yes. Um, it was in 2020 that I offered, that I was offered this residency that I met with the director of the Opera House. And it's true, things felt like, you know, the world was my oyster then because there were, everything was open and um, it was, yeah, it was great to have the time to properly think about it. Um, but, you know, we were already, back then, everyone was already trying to put dates on things and, for now, the date is still on and the, of the of the premiere. So, in in, in a way that the time that we've had hasn't been longer necessarily, but perhaps yeah, it had just this more kind of openness to it. You've also, as part of your residence, that you're creating events very much in your, you know, within your own aesthetic of not just classical music. You've recently curated an event there. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I found it very interesting that an opera house was encouraging this. So, yeah, this project um, was quite unusual for the opera house to run. Um, They'd never quite done anything of the sort. Um, But it was really important to me um, as part of my residency to show every different aspect of my work, to not just hide for two years and have an opera come out at the end, but really show that a composer can also be active. Um, and and so very naturally I, I decided to organise an event that would um, put together songwriters, bands and classical musicians. And the form it ended up taking with the local conservatoire. Um, so some of their... Uh, you know, older students um, formed. I formed an ensemble of, I think, eleven musicians, and invited um, a conductor, a brilliant French conductor called Fiona Monbet, um, who is also someone who's active in lots of. She's a jazz violinist as well as a conductor of serious music, and um, and I invited two artists that I that I really um, admire from the French scene. One of them was a band called Evergreen. The other one was a singer-songwriter called Laura Ken. Um, and I chose them because the season, uh, the theme of the season at the Opera House had to do with the sea. And so I looked for artists who had written songs about the sea. Um, and, so, and, and, and they were two of them. And, um, and again, I was really lucky to have their full trust. And I just went and did my own arrangements of their songs. We're working on bringing the project to Paris very soon. Oh, terrific. So that's an indication of something that went well, I would suggest. Yeah, I think so too. Fantastic. So, Josephine, we're probably coming to the end of the podcast now, but I wanted to ask you, what are you most proud of to date, either personally, professionally? That's a big question. Um... To be honest, I think the album you mentioned earlier, the X-Ray with 12 Ensemble Project, is one of the things I'm most proud of. Um, I think the opera I'm currently writing on will be next. (laughs) And we're not going to press you on the opera because we don't want to dispel the magic of the fact that you're probably coming towards the end of it and uh, wish you well in um, continuing it and we all look forward to seeing it and to talking with you again sometime. Thanks so much for joining us. Do we have a date uh, for the premiere of that? 
We do. The premiere is on the 5th of May, 2023. Bonne chance. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. Please come. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you very much for your time and for coming on this. It's been um, fabulous talking to you and learning about your career um, and all the very best with it. Thank you so and much. And welcome, welcome to the Wise Music Group. <laughs>